This episode of Homeschooling in Real Life is brought to you by Caroline's Coffee. You can find them online at carolinescoffee.com. Before we get started on this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that the best way to get Homeschooling in Real Life, the podcast, delivered directly to your listening device is to head on over to iTunes and to subscribe to our show. Each week when we produce new podcast material, it will come directly to you without you having to do anything. So head on over to iTunes. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a review as well? We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. This is Homeschooling in Real Life. Welcome to the Homeschooling in Real Life podcast. Join your hosts as they dive into difficult topics that you might not find covered at your local homeschooling convention. Veteran homeschooling parents Andy and Kendra Fletcher use humor, honesty, and grace to discuss just what it looks like to homeschool in real life. Hey, this is Fletch. And this is Kendra. Welcome to episode 86, where we are bringing back one of our most popular episodes. And actually, Fletch, this one's one of my favorites. I know. This is the one when I said, let's rebroadcast some episodes. What do you want to rebroadcast? You're like, let's do the one with Brant Hansen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I personally really like Brant. I think he's a guy who is humble and very authentic. Um, and he loves, loves, loves the gospel. Jesus Christ and the lack of hope shifting. And so this episode called How the Gospel Makes Us Unoffendable really reaches to the heart of what homeschooling IRL is all about. Yeah, and this, you know, I remember this interview. We sat down with him after work. It was in the evening. It was just such, he's such a gracious guy. And, you know, I know this book has changed a lot of things. You know, Kendra Mm -hmm. can say often, as much as I say, boy, it sounds like you're hope shifting. She's one that's saying, you don't need to be offended by that. Live a life that's unoffended. So we're super excited to replay this episode for you. Remember, that's what we're doing this month in between seasons. We're taking a break and we are reworking uh, some new interviews, some new content uh, for the next season coming up. So we hope you enjoy this rebroadcast of episode 50, How the Gospel Makes Us Unoffendable with Brad Hansen. We'll be back when it's all over. Hey, we have on the line with us Brant Hansen, and if you are familiar with this really exciting and fun radio personality as we are, you know that Brant has uh, an I Am Second video. He has uh, a book that's come out, but most importantly for our listeners who love homeschooling IRL, Brant loves the gospel, and he camps on that, and he often makes me laugh with his great uh, blog posts and uh, fun podcast he does with his assistant, Sherry. So we wanted to introduce our listeners to Brant. Welcome, Brant. Hey, it's great to join you guys. Thank you so much. Hey, you know, we, uh, in preparing for this, I was thinking about how we know you, and really it started with Kendra uh, reading a blog of yours that was... Boy, it had a, a really fun name. It was called Letters from Camp Krusty. Right. 
<laughs> right. And, and she would like show me, you know, blog posts of yours. And I, I don't even remember how many years ago this is, but I don't know if you remember, but you shot a video with your son. You guys traveled like, it seemed like 48 hours across the globe and uh-huh. you did an airport video. Do you yeah. remember that? That's, yeah. That's the first thing I remember. And since then, the Fletcher family has shot airport videos. <laughs> we're just, you know, we're just copiers. Good, good. I endorse that. That's fine. I'm sure I wasn't original with that. <laughs> well, if we do a quick online search of Brant Hansen, uh, this is how you are described. I'm just going to read some of the descriptions. It says you're an author, radio personality, blogger, promoter, podcaster, accordion player, storyteller, nerd, Husband, dad, homeschool parent, outspoken Christian, and that just starts the list. And my list is way shorter. It says, like, Fletch looks like Shrek. <laughs> so, I, yeah, well, that you know what? The homeschooling dad thing, I got to come fully honest about that. I always tell people the shorthand is, well, we homeschooled you know, our kids all the way up. And the, the fact is we is a stretch. Um, because my wife did everything and I'm very thankful for what she's done, but, um, I don't, I don't deserve much credit for the homeschooling dad part of that at least. Right. And myself and a lot of the homeschool dads that listen to homeschooling in real life are, you know, clinking our glasses with you saying, (laughs) that's that's good to hear because there's some guys that are like totally messing up the curve for us and I feel horrible like oh man I, could, I just couldn't do it all I couldn't work full time and do all that but um, I'm so thank it worked out so great and we're just finishing like this month is our last homeschooling month of all because wow. our daughter will graduate wow that's exciting yeah it is exciting and a little bit scary when you pour yourself so much into that and then it's done yeah oh um, tell me about it <laughs> yeah so that's it's going to be an interesting transition for us. Well, I know that uh, we were online this week and I was talking to another homeschool dad and I said, you know how it starts with homeschool dads. They, they ask their kids, you know, Hey, what are you learning? And they're somewhere in the, you know, the, the Egyptians or, you know, back in the Greeks. And then the next time I ask it's, you know, we're at the civil war. And then <laughs> like the third time it's like, so we're at Kennedy's assassination. <laughs> So I, I relate to your comments as a homeschool dad. So. Yeah, good. I'm glad you understand. So with that list, uh, if there's a whole bunch of descriptive terms like that, how would you describe yourself? Uh, well, that's a good question. I don't know what I'm doing. I make I make clear that because I guess over the course of years, people could say, wow, I want to do whatever you've done or whatever. I I, I still don't know what I'm doing. I go into the radio studio every day and I, and I – I am. I feel overwhelmed by the nature of it, like the fact that I get to speak in anybody's lives. I'm not very socially adept, and so it can overwhelm me to think that a couple people are listening to me. But I am so thankful for it because I feel like part of the beauty of anything I've been able to do has been because I didn't chart it out ahead of time. I didn't know what was going to happen. I still don't. And God's been so faithful to us. I think he actually honors um, that lack of of thinking that you're your own, you know, boss of your future. I just I, I'm not into that, and he's been so good. So I really don't have many descriptions except uh, I know I'm a sinner. I know God's been really good to us, and I don't know what's next. But it's it's been 
fascinating to see how he's used us anyway. That's a perfect description for homeschooling in real life because, mm. you know, often we'll say we're, we're just beggars that are helping other beggars find food, um, but we're, we're quick t- to admit that we don't have it all together. And that's actually why we titled our podcast Homeschooling in Real Life. It's- well, I really think what happens is by doing that, you free people and they realize that God can use you anyway. It's incredibly debilitating and disempowering to people when they see experts everywhere. Everybody's an expert instantly. You know, they've, they've figured it out. Here's the model. Here's how you do it. It must be this way. And it can be extremely discouraging. I mean, I've looked at some of the, some of the material about homeschooling and literally if we did all that, the kids would not sleep. They would be practicing <laughs> piano from one to 3 AM and then onto the, you know, to this other thing and the next deal. And the, it's impossible. And you can always feel like you've, you're not doing enough. And that's the thing I found that's true of every single family I've known who's homeschooled is the mom in particular, but it can be the dad too, but the mom in particular feels like she's failing at some level because so much is ladled onto people's backs, laden onto it, I should say. And you, you can always do more and I'm failing. They always have this sense of it. And I think that's too bad. So I think what you're doing by saying we don't have it figured out, and God's making something wonderful happen anyway, just empowers a whole group of people who know that they don't have it together. And yet, look how good God is. Yeah, absolutely. And the homeschool community, I think in particular, falls victim uh, with with probably homeschooling moms more than dads with this sort of try harder, do more mentality. And the freedom of knowing that everything was done at the cross and we can just live in that Jesus finished it. Our children's salvation does not rest upon our shoulders. Right. You know, it's not, it doesn't matter what devotional you choose to do, or if you missed it 42 days in a row, Jesus has finished it. It's all done. No no kidding. And and then when you, when you couple the the burdens of church culture, like you're talking about, Mm. uh, along with our culture at large about just accomplishment and achievement, and you got to do this and you got to do that. That's just backbreaking. There's no way. It's impossible. And so the culture's exhausted. And here comes this message of grace that says, actually, um, you can rest. Yeah. God actually loves you. And it's not to say that you won't want to work. You should. You, you will because you're created to do things. And uh, I get it. But you can rest. And um, the problem is, I think, for a lot of people in any schooling is there's no finish line. And you just wish there were so that you could go see I'm doing awesome in our case I guess we're about to the, to finally hit one and my wife is able to realize you know what I did a good job I mean I, I really did but that's been you know 18 20 years in the making to be able to right. say that right hey this is John Wilkerson from the Wired Homeschool over at thewiredhomeschool.com you're listening to Fletch and Kendra on homeschooling in real life So we are on the line with Brant Hansen, author of the book Unoffendable, and we want to get to that new book. But along the way, we want to chat briefly uh, just about your we, – we'd already started this, but some of your thoughts on the Christian homeschooling community. Um, you know, Kenj and I started homeschooling in real life uh, because we wanted to, as we say, peek behind the curtain – of Christian homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And I love to run in and tip over sacred cows and, 
you know, point at things with sticks. Uh, mm-hmm. What did I say? No, disturb, disturb, poke, <laughs> poke at things with sticks. Sometimes you smack things really mm-hmm. hard with a stick. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it's, you know, we've been in this culture and we've seen some wacky behavior. Uh, so when I say Christian homeschoolers, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Oh, man, I don't want to say denim jumpers because it's such a cliche. Um Christian homeschoolers. That's funny. I'm going to stop just for a second because we were at a convention back in Tennessee uh, a month ago, and I when we looked around the convention, I you know I always try and sneak pics of denim jumpers with my iPhone because uh-huh. I, I, I I just like to text Kendra and say, look, we're st- they are still alive and active, and they are. They're they are. There. But um, I I found I a lot it's... of hipsters with uh, curled mustaches and. Uh, you know, funky beanie tattoos. Yeah. And tattoos. I, I, I'm not surprised by that. I think, I think it's a lot more diverse than people on the outside realize. Um, and I think the people are, are, I'll say this interesting to a person. I mean, cause you have to be, cause you're, you're effectively opting out of something, an easier way that everybody else is doing. And I happen to like interesting people who are quirky and even annoying to other people. So at worst, um, this group is just, fascinating to me and i know as soon as somebody says that they homeschool i think okay there's a story there because you don't back into that it's like it's like when my son goes to school at berkeley the christians there are fascinating all of them yeah because you you don't back into saying oh i'm a believer in jesus at berkeley the easiest thing is not to so anybody who zigs when the culture is zagging i think is really really interesting so brant Along the lines of being fans of homeschooling, as we all are, I mean, we love to poke fun, but obviously we've chosen to do this for a reason. What are Mm -hmm. some of the pros you've seen in Christian homeschooling? I know my kids. Mm. I know them. And, uh, you know, my daughter's 18, my son's 21 now. And even though I wasn't involved maybe as, as heavily as I could have been or should have been or whatever with curricula or whatever, my, my wife did such a masterful job in, and I know them. And because of this, the flexible schedule, because of their presence in the home, because of the way we structured my own job, I said no to certain things so that I could say yes to being home a lot. I know my kids. And this this idea that the culture has at large, that when your kids become teenagers, they will become estranged from you. You'll wish you never had them. You'll rue the day that, you, that never happened. And you know, who knows, maybe it still will. I don't know. You know, all I can speak is to my experience. I think I, I knew them really, really well. And we spent every afternoon together, basically their entire lives. So that has been a huge deal. And ultimately while academic stuff comes and goes, and I'm not worried so much about achievement, our kids have done great on achievement stuff. Um, but that's never been our big concern. I just want to help shape their character. And I think that's that's been aided tremendously by homeschooling. It's to to say I want to be their primary context for learning how to function in the world, um, rather than a peer group, has been wonderful. And that's not a slam on uh, teachers or parents or anything. It's just saying there's there's two different ways of there's different ways of doing this thing. And and I have I'm so thankful that my wife was up for doing this. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I'm I'm thinking if you have a kid who's at Cal Berkeley uh, right now, something you did uh, caused that kid to be able to have uh, 
the character that would walk into a campus like that and say, I'm okay with this. I'm going to just be here because God's put me here. Totally. And he's a shy kid. Our, our daughter just got accepted by Berkeley, but she's not going to go there. She's going to go to the King's College in New York oh, City. Yeah. Wow. She's excited about that. She'll, she'll start in the fall. Uh, it has been remarkable. And what's real interesting, too, like we got one kid going to Manhattan, the other kid's in San Francisco at Berkeley. Yeah. And the idea that it's funny to think about, you know, 16, 18, whatever years ago, people are saying, Oh, you're just trying to shelter your kids. Mm. Like, so now what am I doing? Right. <laughs> if that was the motivation, why am I sending them to San Francisco and New York? I never wanted to. Well, okay. I did want to shelter them as children, but not as an adult. I wanted to equip them and shape their character so that they could be a blessing to other people in the real world. The idea that I'm sheltering them, of course I am. They're, they're tiny, you know, children. And over time, I've given them more and more responsibility. So it is kind of funny in retrospect because a lot of the people I know who who took issue with us, quote unquote, sheltering our kids, their kids live next door to them right? Um, <laughs> and, and did, would never, they're fearful and they won't venture out and do what our kids are doing. So it's not like an in your face or anything. It probably sounds like that, but it, I think it does underscore the whole time. This has always been about um, wanting our kids to be equipped for the world as it is and be a blessing to people. Yeah, equipping kids to stand in the marketplace is uh, is a huge motivator for us. Um, but I think you're doing a better job of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I think God's been really good to us. And our son has Asperger's syndrome. He's he's very shy, mm. but he's just been so determined. And to drop him off at Berkeley, here's a super shy kid who's been homeschooled. And drop him off at Berkeley for you know that's his first day of school. Most of the time, you drop the kid out of the car. They're at <laughs> kindergarten, right? I was like, here's Cal Barkley. Have at it. Um, <laughs> I think I think he has grown so much and been so determined. And it was it was hard for him. Uh, but he's he's thrived. So we're just thankful. That's that's every day. We're thankful to God for that. Well, we love to talk on our show every episode. So this is our token time. We're going to talk about it, Kendra. OK, uh, we love to talk <laughs> about hope shifting and we talk about how it's so easy uh, for Christians and homeschoolers to shift their hope off of the gospel to huh. one of two places. Either uh, it's the world, and that's the one that Christians typically think of, and that's the one they typically say, that's not me. You know, uh -huh. whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or money or, you know, this this job is what provides my hope. This uh -huh. um, this thing, my body, my my health is what is what I have to put my hope in. And when those things fail, they're, they're lost. Or when those things don't fail and they're going well, they're, they're trapped in um, slavery to those things. Yeah. Um, on the other side, and this is where a lot of us, including the homeschoolers is religion. You know, mm -hmm. we, we now are making deals with God and saying, okay, God, I did this and this and this, and thus you should, do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something you can relate with or you have eyes kind of oh looking goodness. into this community or, or constantly Brant Hansen himself? Constantly. I think we all struggle with that. Both are, are fatal errors. Um, there, there's no question about that. Whether you, you hit your wagon to your religion or religion, they will both fail you. Um, and to find your identity in anything that's, that's shifting. Hey, look, you know, we're crossing the finish line in this. If our identity is exclusively, look at us homeschool. 
because you can get caught up in that. It becomes your thing. Whatever your thing is, well, now it's over. So now who are we? Right. Unless we found our identity somewhere else or we put it somewhere else, it has to be, has to be in, in, the, in the fact that God looks at us a certain way and he, he approves of us because of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, anything else is ultimately going to leave you um, extremely uh, in despair. And I, I do think that's a fundamental. Look, I talk to Christians all the time on Christian radio, and a lot of the, a lot of these people press the button for that station because now I want to feel religious, and they that's what they want. They they define themselves by how hard they're trying to please God, and what a trap that is because you can't you can't ever win. And the same thing goes with irreligion. Whatever you put your hope in, it's transitory. You can't win. You can never be good looking enough. You can never be, you know, uh, successful enough. You can never be athletic enough. You can never be religious enough. You can never please the church enough. You can't go to enough small groups, evangelize enough, go door to door, make the cookies for the cookie ministry, um, you know, teach a Sunday school class. You can't tithe enough, can't take enough short term missions trips. It's never enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I don't. Well, if that's the point of it, then you're just looking at despair and extreme exhaustion. It won't work. So, yeah, I encounter that constantly. I try to address it constantly on the air. Uh, the light clicks on for people sometimes, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Wait, God actually loves me. And that's, that's a score for me. That's why I'm doing it. It sounds you know, very similar to your motivations. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Brant is right up the path of homeschooling in real life. But I've got to back up. You said something in there that really struck me. There's a cookie ministry. Is that what you said? I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> that's like suddenly I feel like I've been yeah, shortchanged. I to talk to you. You're not really contributing enough to that ministry, so please oh. feel wait, guilty. Wait, I want the ice cream yeah. ministry. Yeah. That's wait, what yeah. I want. And there's a coffee ministry, right? There's yeah, a, yeah. We, we can get you plugged in. Sure. Okay, let's take another quick break. Hey there, homeschoolers. I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. Once you've finished listening to this episode of Homeschooling in Real Life, come on over and join us as we discover Christian themes in your favorite movies at ChristinCinema.com. One of the things we see in the homeschool community is defensiveness. And I think a lot of us feel like we have to defend this thing, partly because anything we put our hope in that isn't Jesus, we get defensive about and we feel like we have to uh, defend that thing. And so while we're doing that, we're so easily offended by other people. We wanted to have you talk about your new book that's come out called Unoffendable. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the idea, and believe me, a lot of people will shut this off as soon as I see what the idea is, but please, before you shut it off, consider that part of repentance means rethinking. In fact, it's from the word pensive, for instance, the same root word, like to think. So sometimes we have to rethink things. The central idea of this book is that we are not entitled to anger. We are not. Now, we, we get angry, that happens, but we're supposed to get rid of it, and that is a very consistent biblical message. We're supposed to get rid of it. So... That's the concept. Some people are like, no, that's just not true. The Bible says this. No, it doesn't. The Bible does not say that we're ever supposed to hang on to anger. It says when you get angry, you get rid of it that day. And it continually tells us to get rid of all anger. But God got angry. Jesus got it. Yeah, he can be trusted with anger. 
he's sinless, we're not. He can be trusted with vengeance, he's sinless, we're not. There are certain things that are God's alone. We cannot, we cannot have a right to anger against someone because we're just as guilty. And when I just want to encourage people to think about it, keep your mind open on this because it may unlock some wonderful things for you and your family uh, when you embrace this idea that you're not entitled to anger anymore. And I encourage people to decide to be unoffendable as much as they can. Here's the thing with homeschooling. Like, how many times are you going to be shocked that somebody doesn't like the fact that you're homeschooling? I mean, it happens when people started doing this in the 80s or 70s or whenever they started. Like, it was so revolutionary. Even now, when you tell people, oh, we homeschool, some people don't like it. But I don't want to be shocked by that every time. Like, yeah, I get it. So, okay, humans are broken. Some people will be rude towards me. That's the way it is. That's human nature. But we live in this constant taking of offense idea where we're just shocked every time. I can't believe what they said to us. I can't believe they'd be so rude. Really? You can't believe it? I mean, the world's been this way since, what, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel? <laughs> right. Which is, which is really a fundamental thing. If you are somebody who believes in, in the worldview of the Bible, you know humans are broken. Got it. Murderous, uh, traitorous, adulterous, we're broken. Um, so we don't need to be shocked by it anymore. We can expect it. And then we can we can really rejoice when we see grace. But, man, we don't need to walk around every, I can't believe they did that. At some point, it's on us. And we have to go, you know what, I'm not surprised. I know how humans are. And, you know what, I don't have to fix everybody. It's okay. Well, that sounds like a mamsy-pamsy, turn-the-cheek kind of religion. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny about that. There are actually people who would tell me that. I'm like, really? So, so to me, anger is passive. Because, I mean, toddlers get angry. Babies can get angry. Anger is the easiest root of all. The idea that I would actively forgive people, that takes guts. That's hard. And the namby-pamby thing is highly amusing to me. Actually, what's namby-pamby is getting angry and staying angry. Because anybody can do that. Mm. But to actually forgive somebody takes a tremendous amount of character. What's also an interesting fundamental uh, misunderstanding about this, well, if I'm not angry, then... How am I supposed to do anything? I won't do it. Well, that's too bad. You mean you have to be motivated by something you're not entitled to to get anything done. We're supposed to be motivated to take action, and I'm all for taking action. Action's wonderful. But just being angry and thinking we're, we're righteous because we're angry doesn't do anybody any good. In fact, it, anger destroys us. The Bible is very clear about that. Anger resides in the lap of fools. So the idea that we confuse anger with action is a fundamental mistake. I'm all about taking action, um, but anger itself, I don't need it to take action. We don't want our police being angry. We don't want our judges being angry. We don't want the military acting out of anger, but we do want them to take action. Well, I, I, I guess right off the bat, you're going to have critics, I'm assuming, that say, but there's a righteous anger. Right? Uh-huh. Isn't there a righteous anger? That's the one yeah. we're all supposed to have, right? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what God has. Yeah. He's righteous. Um, there's a verse that nobody cares about that's in um, James 1, 20. I care about it. I care about well, this verse. Good. This, this is heartening and reflex <laughs> because now someone cares. I also care about that cookie ministry. I, yeah, we'll I get back to it. Two things. Okay. This James 1, 20, when people say, ah, but in the Bible it says that we have righteous anger. We're supposed to get angry because of righteous anger. James 1, 20 actually says there's nothing about human anger that brings about the righteousness of God. 
It's point blank. No, your anger is not righteous. But my anger is righteous. Not, not according to the Bible. But in Ephesians 4.26, doesn't it say to be angry but don't sin? See, be angry. No, that's not what it says. It says, in your anger, do not sin. And the rest of the verse, people don't continue. It says, get rid of it before the sun goes down. So it's acknowledging, yeah, we're humans. Um, we, we have anger reactions to threat. That's natural. Animals have fight or, you know, fight or flight reactions. We have that too. But we're supposed to get rid of it. We're supposed to be a different creation. And the idea that that's namby-pamby or I, I should be angry just makes my point because it makes us feel righteous to be angry. It's self-righteous anger is what it is. It's not righteous anger. It's self-righteous. And the idea that we're superior morally to anybody we're angry with is a lie. And Jesus destroys that in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a crazy idea, and a lot of people aren't going to buy it. But, you know, um, it's radical. And I think it's more radical than than a lot of the, you know, like the radical of the book, honestly. I think it's it's calling us to be people who pick up our own cross daily. And that means forgiving people. That's That's the essence of discipleship. So, yeah, it is a narrow way. Most people won't do it. But since when has Christianity ever been anything less than, than that? I like how, you know, Brent, you're perfect for the show because you're, the, you're like us. You read the rest of the verse. You know. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's so interesting because people will come out guns blind. Oh, but it says here, like, why did you not remember the second part of the verse? Mm. And that alone betrays something about us, doesn't it? I mean, like, we just want to affirm whatever we thought. And here's the Bible, nuclear bombing our right to anger. And we won't even look at it. We'll just seize on a few words that seem, seem to justify. Five verses later, in case there's any doubt what the Bible actually says about this, right after that verse that people take the first half of to try to justify their right to anger, five verses later, Paul says, get rid of all anger. It's in the same paragraph. <laughs> get rid of all anger. And then here's James saying, get rid of it. There is no such thing as righteous anger. It's consistent. It's never portrayed in the good list. It's not in the fruit of the spirit. It's not love, joy, peace, anger, goodness. You know, it's none of that. It's always in the bad list along with bitterness and jealousy and discord. And we don't talk about righteous jealousy. Hmm. Good point. Wow. That's uh, you know, I was thinking that would never fit on a bumper sticker though. You know, you can't have all those extra verses. That's, (laughs) that is why we can't do it. So we just going to, we're going to cherry pick the ones we love. I know. It just, it just justifies our, our toddlerish behavior. And look, I get, I still get angry too. I just know I have to deal with it. I don't have a right to it. I use the, I use the, the idea in the book from Lord of the Rings where Frodo did not deserve the ring. He didn't want it, but he got it. And he's got to go drop it in the cracks of doom right now before it destroys everybody. And that, for somebody to let go of their anger, it hurts. But you cannot say simultaneously, oh, I forgive you, and I'm entitled to anger, which I'm going to keep. That's impossible. Those two things can't be the same. And we know, if you're a believer, follower of Jesus, you know what you're called to do. You're called to forgive. So I don't – it's really interesting the different gymnastics that we go through to try to justify things we already thought. So with that in mind, what has been the response to this? I mean I, I know there are times where um, someone rubs up against us the wrong way with that sandpaper and you know, we, uh-huh. we love to, to – we talk around here. We love to ditch instead of dwell. You know, instead of mm-hmm. dwelling together and figuring this out, what's been the response to 
to what you've been sharing? Has there has there been anger? <laughs> okay, short. Yeah, okay. Short answer is I don't know because a lot of times the response you get, like if you post something on Facebook, most of what you get back is going to be from your friends, right? I mean, they like you. So that's just the way it is. Like, hey, great picture, great dress, you know, your hair looks great. Um, and so I get back reflected from my tribe. I kind of already already have a tribe of people that like to think outside the box. And those people are unsurprisingly like, wow, man, I never thought about it. Thank you. Um, will there be people who actually pick up a book that from the outset disagrees with them? We're going to find out. I mean, the thing's only been out for a week or two. Um, are they willing to pick up a book that cuts like a knife and then puts you back together? Because I'm hearing a lot of that. This, this wrecked me. It destroyed me. And then now I think it's beautiful. And it's not me. It's not my writing. It's the, it's the idea of it. Because nobody, most people haven't considered this before. Um, they just haven't thought about this. Like, this is a lifestyle, and it sounds a whole lot like following Jesus. The thing is, when you actually do this, people become attracted to you that never would have before. They actually want to hang out with you. These are sinners because you're not offended by anything. You're not surprised by anything. Your nose isn't stuck up about anything. You're never like, oh, I can't believe that you would. Because you know how humans are, and you love them anyway. And it's interesting to see how people want to be around you. I'm stunned by the difference with uh, people relating to me after I started to embrace this uh, who are not believers. And pretty soon, almost invariably, the conversation turns around to, okay, tell me about Jesus. Go ahead. <laughs> because, because I love them and I'm for them. Instead of constantly finding like, oh, here's the problem. I know they need Jesus. I know everybody does. The, here's another thing that people will never, and I'm, I'm getting off topic just a little bit, but they, they never memorize this verse either. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, you don't know what's in the heart of somebody else. He said, I don't even know my own heart. I'm going to leave it to God and let him sort it out in the end. Well, when you embrace that kind of humility, that's beautiful. Because you don't have to be testing everybody's spiritual temperature all the time. Are they a good Christian? Is it a real Christian? Is that person? Well, you have no clue. And that swings both ways. That means you can't look at somebody like me and go, oh, Brad's such a great man of God on the radio. You don't know. You don't know. So you don't have to. You just know everybody needs Jesus. That's all. More of him. That's it. So I'll leave the rest to him. Man, that's freeing. Man, I don't have to worry about stuff. So on one hand, when people see the ramifications of what happens when you give up your right to anger, they love it. Whether they'll get past the first couple chapters when I break down this, this myth about our, our right to it, I don't know. And I honestly think this book is written very simply, but it may be too hard for people to actually say, I'm willing to, I'm willing to follow Jesus down that path. Um, it's, whether it'll be mainstream successful, I don't know because of that. I think you, you're better off giving people a list of things to do to be, become a better churchgoer. They'll eat that up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If we can put it into uh, six steps and totally. start like every you, sentence with the same letter, that'd be right. better. And this is this would be my, my critique, and I've talked with with David Platt about this when I interviewed him, and I'm, so I'm just being honest, and about his book Radical, I'm like, you're basically saying, do more church stuff. And like I only have so much time, 
you know, give more, do, do more short-term missions, do this, you know, go to that, volunteer for this. Um, my book is excusing you from all that sort of stuff, but I think it's way more radical because you're, you're having to do a heart surgery. And yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. You know, one of the things we say around here, uh, Brant, is that we need to stop behaving better and learn how to believe better. And it really sounds like that's, uh, in, in some sense, in a very basic sense, what you're getting at. Like, just believe God's word a little better rather than, because I think a, a few of us could look at this and say, oh, okay, Brant's saying, this is how I'm supposed to behave. But, mm-hmm. but really it's, no, believe what God says in his word a little bit better and trust him a little bit more. Yeah, that's the word. I would say trust him. I don't think a lot of us do, and I think that's where worry comes from ultimately, and I do think it's a lot where anger comes from because if you think about it, anger is, is essentially threat. A lot of times the threat doesn't exist. I mean, think about getting cut off in traffic. What has that person done to you? Really? Delayed you 0.047 seconds? But really what's happened, we feel threatened because at some very deep primal level, we're like, hey, uh, this person's trying to push me out of the village, basically. They think they're better than me. They think they matter and I don't. Um, They're marginalizing me. We take it personally. To be able to forgive that person in the process is to get rid of all of that threat and say, you know what, I forgive. I'm going to see traffic as forgiveness practice from now on. I forgive that guy. I've cut people off. I'm worse. I'm going to forgive that person. But a lot of times there's so much at stake because we're not really trusting God to take care of us. Like, I'm going to be fine. Everybody can cut me off. I'll be okay. Um, Everybody can do stuff to me. The worst thing you can do is take my life. Well, guess what? I already gave that away. I already gave it away. I thought, I thought that was the idea. So he's got my back. Um, I'm not going to be threatened by everybody because he's, he's my fortress. What's so interesting is that all of these ramifications follow from us embracing the humility of this sort of thing of just going, I am not in charge. Uh, It's, and it's so freeing and you become like a little kid, but that's, that's difficult to do because a lot of people just want to be in control instead of just trusting him. And it's really, I mean, this is an issue of identity again. You know, if you are secure in your identity in Christ, if you, if you really know that God loves you and he has your best for you, then you can, you can start putting, you know, there, there is no battle to fight anymore. You're right. I'm fully accepted by Christ. So why do I need to, right. to win every one of these little skirmishes along the way. Or why even the big battle. Everything? Yeah. yeah why, why do we have to protect everything? Why do I have to straighten everybody out on Facebook and on Twitter? Oh my There's goodness. a whole, whole <laughs> lot of wrong people out there. You're going to be busy. If you think it's your job to make everybody right, how about pray for the person God's in control? He really is. He's got a timeline with people. If you can pray for him, you don't have to straighten him out. How about let him be wrong? Yeah. I mean, can we... Is that, is that a possibility? Or, do, or are we so threatened by everything that we have to straighten everybody out? Here's the thing I think you're getting at Fletch with, I think, I think is really true. A lot of people are very prone to anger in the religious community, the Christian church, because deep down, I think they suspect that God is angry at them. Hmm. And I don't think they, they can let themselves off the hook because they think that God's Wondering why don't you pray more, give more, oh. do why, more. Why don't you behave better? Just why don't you behave, behave better? better? Yeah. Your thoughts, you can't, 
you're evil in your thoughts and look, we're all messed up. We're all sinners, but he's good. But unless we've, unless we've really had a big long drink from that fountain of, of going, wait a second, it's not about me. It really isn't. My righteousness is about, it's not about me. It's about him. Unless we've done that, we're going to be very prone to anger from others because we honestly deep down think God isn't pleased with us. Brant, we see this so poignantly in the homeschool community as we are around the country doing different uh, conferences here and there. We see these little factions that have to, to guard and protect whatever it is they're guarding and protecting. And we look at each other and we say, well, they don't bake their own bread. Or, well, that person <laughs> over there doesn't classically homeschool. Or, oh, no, they're unschoolers. Or whatever the thing is. And uh-huh. we're protecting this thing and we get offended, like you said, on social media, on Facebook. You know, face-to-face, mm-hmm. we're not so good about it. But, you know, we will we'll stick, stick our neck out there for that thing we have created as an idol in our lives. And it's bondage. And one of the things that has struck me um, as I've listened to you talk about this, because you've been talking about Unoffendable on your podcast for several episodes, and and um, that whole idea that we can can set it aside and say, "Look, I can love the sinner next to me in their sin," because guess what? I am that sinner who constantly lives in my sin. <laughs> yeah, that has been revolutionary for just the two of us in the last couple of weeks talking through this, huh. you know, can we love someone in their sin? And I remember the first time you brought it up to me, uh, it did stop me in my tracks. So I was the, I'm not going to read the second part of the verse guy there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how awesome is it that God himself allows himself to be born into a barn full of animal manure? <laughs> I mean, He's not offended by our smells. He's not offended by our sinfulness. Jesus never looked at any single person and said, you're just so immoral. You know what? (laughs) I'm out of here. How amazing is that? And I I can't help but think that there's nowhere I can't go now. Now, people always bring up examples that are extreme. Like, what if you're an alcoholic? Should you go in a bar? I'm not talking about that. But there's nobody I can't hang out with. You know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. People are so fearful, but that's an offensive term. The gates of hell won't prevail against us. And we think we have to set up these, this, you know, walled fortress. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I can go anywhere. Uh, A, God's given me the Holy Spirit. B, the worst thing they can do is take the life that I've already given away. (laughs) And C, what an opportunity to love people in a way they'll be shocked by. It'll, the gospel will finally make sense to them when we act this way, that it'll actually make sense. Because they're like, oh, I get it. So it's about God's righteousness, not yours or mine. Yeah, see, that's why we're friends. That's why it's my favorite right there, Fletch. I don't think we need to say anything else. Yeah. yeah. No, I, if I would, I would offend you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, great, great episode. Thank you uh, for tuning in again and re-listening. If you're a new listener to Homeschooling in Real Life and you liked this episode, you know what? There are a ton more to go back. Start binge watching. Or no, start binge listening, I guess. You binge watch on Netflix. You binge listen on Homeschooling in Real Life. If they binge watched, that wouldn't be very exciting. No, boring. Yeah. yeah. We're not that good looking. So head on back. Listen to all of them. But um, we want to thank you for listening to this one. If you want to reach out to us and let us know what you think about our podcast or uh, our
our voices because our voices could be what are they could they be grating i don't know could they be shrilly could they be too deep um, if you want to tell us, you can reach us on facebook.com slash homeschooling IRL. we got a great community there. You can tweet to us at homeschool IRL. I like, uh, I like, you do, Kendra really watches our Twitter account more than I do. Yes, I do. And we have some faithful tweeters there. Yeah. And then if you want to email us, you can just send us a regular old email, info at homeschoolingirl.com. But more than anything, we'd love for you to join our community. Learn what it means to live freely, fearlessly, and recklessly because Jesus Christ has freed you and you can be a homeschooler that doesn't hope shift and that can just live out loud um, and be who you are as a homeschooler. Kench, how do they do that? You can go straight to homeschoolingirl.com slash subscribe. And you guys, this costs nothing. Um, we're not selling you anything. We're not going to send you, you know, weird photos or videos. Or <laughs> weird photos. <laughs> wow! Now what do I am. Get sent now I'm sending. Like? Um, just maybe. I don't know what. I don't know what we'd send. We send only good stuff. Only we send, good stuff. We send um, blooper reels. That's like some of my favorite. You know, <laughs> if you think Kendra can get this word out of her mouth, tweet to us at Homeschool IRL without messing it up. You have to go back. You have to become a member and listen to her try that several times. So, yeah, we would love for you to become members. We'll send you coupons. We'll send you just anything that's fun and that would encourage you in your homeschooling. And to do that without hope shifting, that's what we'll do. So head on over to homeschoolingirl.com slash subscribe. We will talk to you next week. See you then. You've been listening to the Homeschooling in Real Life podcast. Everything on this podcast was written and produced by Andy and Kendra Fletcher. For more information, or if you'd like to contact your hosts, please visit them on homeschoolingirl.com. <laughs>